So the big question is this, how do most agents who don't have access to the secrets that the top agents hoard to themselves grow and prosper in today's real estate environment? That is the question, and this podcast will give you the answers. I'm Pat Hyben, and welcome to Real Estate Rockstars. And now for the review of the day. All right, got a great review here from a Broman. Broman says, thanks, Pat, five stars. I listen to every podcast. It has great information and motivates me. First thing in the morning, I don't realize how much I've been missing out on just by thinking outside the box. Thanks and keep up the great work, Travis Meyer West. Lafayette, Indiana. Thank you, Travis. Thank you for the five stars. Keep the comments coming, guys. I love them. And remember, I eat feedback for breakfast. So give me a one-star review if you want or a five-star review if you want. I don't care. And the more reviews we get, the better guests we get. So please, subscribe first and then leave us a review or wherever you're listening. This episode is brought to you in full by Rebus University, the future of real estate training. Go now to www.rebusuniversity.com and use the coupon code ROCK for 20% off your first course. Double your commissions now with Rebus University. Okay, Rockstar Nation, I got a great guest, and we are going to go over some very specific things that you need to know about buying and selling investment properties, about working with investors, about doing flips, uh, about holding properties, everything you ever wanted to know about today's real estate market from an investment standpoint. I got Mr. Jack Gibson from Indianapolis, Indiana on the line, and we're going to get deep today. Jack, welcome to Real Estate Rockstars. Thank you, Pat. Excited to be here. Thanks for having me. Hey, my pleasure, Jack. Why don't you give everybody a little rundown on who you are so they get to know you better? Sure. So, Pat, I actually, uh, I'm, I'm uh, 39 years old. I've been uh, doing real estate only for two and a half years. So, prior to that, uh, when I was in college at age 19, I discovered a network marketing uh, nutritional business. I got started in that, you know, part-time, built up a million-dollar business while I was going to school. And then uh, when I graduated in 2000, I went into that full-time and that's right when I discovered real estate through the Rich Dad, Poor Dad book, you know, from Robert Kiyosaki, of course, right? That kind of opened up my mind about, you know, how to invest. And at that point, you know, I just, I was young, I didn't have any money, but I got the vision and the concept to build, you know, a real estate, you know, portfolio. But at that time, you know, I just said, you know what, I just need to focus on what I'm making money at right now. And I just don't have the cash to pursue real estate. So I kind of pushed it pushed it down the road. And about three years ago, my uh, stock portfolio dropped like a rock. I was in oil. And you know, when the gas oil prices dropped, of course, my stock <laughs> dropped like a rock right along with it. And I said to myself, I'm not living the rest of my life on this up and down roller coaster anymore. So that was a Obviously, it was a very frustrating moment, very discouraging, 
but I feel like it was necessary. It kind of pushed me in a new direction and it gave me that kind of that resolve to say, I'm going to learn real estate. I'm going to learn this game. I'm not, I knew nothing really about it. So I just started downloading podcasts at the gym every morning, one hour workout, one hour you know, worth of podcasting on all kinds of real estate subjects. And one of the ones that really kind of turned me on was the um, turnkey concept of turnkey real estate. At that point, you know, I was very involved in my nutrition company still. It's a multi, multi-million dollar business. And I just didn't feel like I had any time to do like all the research of how to buy, how to acquire, how to renovate, how to put tenants in place, all of that. So I um, started investigating turnkey companies and uh, bought from a couple. I had a couple bad experiences. Finally, the third time's a charm. I found one in Indianapolis that uh, started producing some really, really nice double-digit cap rates, had a great experience. And then I was not looking to do real estate as a business, but because I was so excited about the passive income that I was getting, I was actually felt like, okay, finally I got something investment wise that's stable that's a high return this is awesome so i just started sending all my friends and family and co-workers and network in and as referrals and i generated like several million dollars in business just from doing that so then i talked to you know my provider and i said look i mean there's got to be a way for me to make some money with this you know at that time he was just giving me like discounts off rehab you know for people that i'd refer so I said, okay, like, how can I make money? So then we partnered up and then we started uh, doing deals together. And then since that time, through for, for multiple reasons, um, I decided to create my own company and do, my, do, do everything myself. And so here we are today, um, you know, we're, we're doing um, somewhere around a million a month in sales at this point, sometimes, you know, probably averaging right around there. So it's been been phenomenal, and I didn't intend to do this, but it's been great. So and and so, just so everybody understands this clearly, when you say a million dollars a month in sales, essentially what Jack is doing is he is buying properties at a severe discount, fixing them up, renting them out, and then selling them to an investor at a turnkey, like with, with a turnkey operation. So rather than the traditional flip, whereas he is, whereas the traditional flip is selling to say the first time buyer or the second time buyer, of course, you know, depending on the price range could be selling to the, to the dream home buyer, but nonetheless is selling to a buyer that's going to live in it. Jack is selling to another investor. So uh, I want to talk to you about some specifics because I want everybody to learn here. First of all, when you go buy a property, where are you finding these deeply discounted properties? Great question. So we have a lot of different sources. You know, you never want to have one source, right? I mean, if that source dries up, then what do you, your supply is gone and, and now you've got all this demand and no supply. It's, it's, it's not a good place to be. So we do, um, our, our main source is um, wholesalers. You know, we have a network. We've really vetted, you know, the wholesalers and the markets so that we've got it down to, you know, three that we actually really trust. <laughs> we, um, we talk about, we recorded a podcast on our show about the wholesalers fluff. You know, they always inflate the, 
um, rent that you're going to get on the property. And then they, uh, you know, they say it's only going to take 10 K in rehab. Well, then it's 20. So we, um, we, <laughs> we've got a wholesalers that are pretty accurate, you know, when they feed us a property. So then tax sales are a great way. So the surplus sale where, Before, wait a minute, let me stop you there. Wait, okay. Really? You should be doing that. You should be doing the due diligence on that yourself, right? Don't trust. I don't think you should trust a wholesaler, right? You no, trust, but verify, Pat. Trust, but verify. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you should be doing that. Like if a, if a wholesaler says, you know, I, I, you know, I'm buying this for 60 and I'll sell it to you for 65 and I'm only making five grand, you need to figure out, you know, what you can sell it for or what you can rent it for and what you can then sell it for rather than just trusting them, you know, with all those. I mean, that would be massively dangerous to just, just trust. But you're saying you've built some relationship where you have to do less legwork in the trust category. Sure. But we still scope every single property, Pat, before we buy. We will not, you know, too many times I've bought a property and then, oh yeah, sewage, you know, needs a dig, which is several thousand dollar repair. Right. So we are very, very careful and we don't just say, okay, we'll just take anything that you throw at us. I mean, it's got to fit our model and it's a simple numbers game for us. We don't get emotionally attached to a property. Even if we think it looks really good, we got the pictures and everything looks good. We'll still send our boots on the ground team. They'll go in, they'll scope it real carefully. And just to make sure we're not going to get into trouble because you know, we're not marking up our properties by huge amounts to where we can withstand to have a broken sewage line or a roof that you know, needs to be replaced that we missed. So we're, we, I definitely encourage everybody, if you're buying from wholesalers, chances are very good that the property is going to need quite a bit of rehab. And is, that's, their, that's their model. They're not doing the model where they're buying it and then they're renovating it and doing all the repairs. They're just buying it from a distressed seller and then they're flipping it quickly you know, to make that, like you said, usually a $5,000 spread is pretty accurate. 5000 I was going to ask you, like, is, is there an amount that a wholesaler has made in the past with you that irked you? When they try to make 10 off me, that irks me pretty good because I feel like we're doing all the hard, heavy lifting. When we were buying the property, we're doing all the renovations to it and it's our capital that's tied up. I mean, they're usually just doing an assignment um, not always. There's some wholesalers that will actually yeah. buy their property and then and then acquire the rights and then right resell what, it. What's your average sale price? What's your average purchase price? Let's say. Um, so single families, it really depends on how much rehab it needs, Pat. So uh, you know, if we're if we're talking about like something at the tax sale, totally distressed. I mean, we can get those for maybe five, but usually ten thousand. You know, and then they need you know, a good 20 K worth of work. So they're doubling their money. Like if someone sells you something for five grand and, and they have tax on all five grand on top, that's a hundred percent profit for them. So you really can't do it from a percentage standpoint. You have to look at it like, right. Five grand total. It doesn't matter if they're selling you a house for a hundred or they're selling you a house for five. You like to see five grand profit for their time. That's it. Yeah. It, you know, if they're making 10 K off me and, but they, they provide all that value where they just negotiated a seller down to an amazing deal. Okay, that's fine. But generally speaking, like my thought is, okay, you want a volume relationship with me? Like you don't need to make a 10K hit off me on every property. Like just take your three, four, five and, you know, be happy. And we're going to the ones that are going to have to deal with the end investor. 
we're the ones that are going to have to answer to them when, you know, a tenant's not like in place quite yet. So we have to do, like I said, we have to do all the heavy lifting. So I feel like as far as the value, we should get a much bigger part of the, uh, you know, the yeah. total spread. Yeah. And, and on this show, I like meat and potatoes. I like exact numbers and exact advice. And so sure. five grand is, is a great number. How about another great number? Like what percentage of value as is, do you want to buy something at? So I want to, so we sell a lot of properties for around 40, say on a single family home, that's going to make uh, 650 to 700 in rent. So pretty good cap. I mean, they're going to hit our invent, our end investor after all expenses should be around a 12, 13 cap rate. As a member of the Rockstar Nation, you may have noticed that every guest that comes on the show now is required to bring with them a free tool, an item of utility that real estate agents can use to drastically increase their sales and profits. Some of the things that have been brought have been ebooks, forms, reports, negotiating techniques, hiring guides, postcards, checklists open house secrets, newsletters that are sent out, sphere of influence forms, referral request forms, and the list goes on and on. If you would like to get this free toolbox full of items of utility, simply go to hybendigital.com backslash toolbox. That's hybendigital.com backslash toolbox or simply text toolbox to 444-999. That's toolbox to 444-999. So typically we're going to want to make anywhere minimum of six to 10 K on that, you know, just depends on how much renovation and holding costs did we have on that property? How much work did we have to do to it? Um, is it a volume deal? So like, are they buying one property? We want to make 10, you know, cause that's a lot of work for one to, you know, service one investor. But if they're going to buy up a package of, you know, 20 homes, we can definitely drop our margins down and give them a better deal. We're not looking to make, we don't need to make a big hit on every property. I'm just looking for volume and relationships and building portfolios for our investors. Okay. And I know that a lot of agents out there practice the 1% rule when they're buying empty houses, right? I know it's probably mm-hmm. a little bit different than when they're buying houses with tenants in it or not, maybe not, but, but you know, 1% being, Hey, listen, you know, you buy a house for a hundred thousand. The monthly rent should be a thousand, which yearly would be twelve thousand. Sure, right? Which could be contrived as a as, as a twelve cap, but not really. It needs to be probably like fifteen because you're taking out the taxes and everything and the insurance. But what rule do you recommend investors go by, and do you recommend real estate agents require their or request their investors go by? Well. Obviously, I think that's a, I mean, that's a, that's the million dollar question. It's a great question. I think it really depends on the market, Pat. So to give you an idea in the Midwest, you know, I think you're, you're not going to get a big appreciation in the Midwest. These are, you know, Indianapolis, you know, cities like Columbus, you know, Cleveland, these are higher cash flow markets, but they're, and they're very, they're very stable for the most part, but they're not going to go up in value much. So I think if you're, 
if you're not going to get much appreciation, my, my personal opinion is that you should be getting a higher cash flow or cap rate on those properties. So the 1% rule, uh, you know, I know that a lot of people go off that. I mean, we don't ever sell anything at 1%. Ours are all 1.5 at the lowest, around 2%. So it depends too. Like a single family is going to be less. Uh, you know, it's probably going to be around a 1.5 to 1.7. Whereas a duplex, a quad, we can get them to 2%. And But then on the duplexes, quads, you also have to adjust for a higher vacancy rate as well. So they usually kind of average out around the same net income. So I, I, I think that uh, for me personally, I don't want the 1% rule because that's not enough cushion for me should something go wrong on that property or there's extended vacancy. Uh, I'm not comfortable with 1%. I know that a lot of investors better. So I want, should the market downturn, should the roof you know, collapse or whatever happens that we know will happen, problems are gonna happen on properties. Yeah, and, and I think that's a huge mistake that a lot of people make is they underestimate repairs and people selling the houses, especially multifamilies, you know, some, and I don't want to generalize, but some commercial brokerages that specialize in multifamilies, they, they tend to do these pro formas that leave out expenses that a seller might have done themselves, right? Or paid somebody cash for or whatever and to make the expenses look less and like you mm -hmm. said jack up the rent or jack up what the rent could be and and that i know you know i own 12 single family rentals that i just rent out to random tenants and i know the one thing that always oh and i mean always screws me is like you said it's it's repairs it's un literally like five minutes before we started this i got an email from my property manager that said, hey, Pat, there's a dead tree on Girard Avenue and we need to remove it and grind the stump. And then while he's there, he, you know, we have all this overgrown crap going on and it's encumbering the neighbor's yard, 5,500 bucks. And I'm like, Ouch. well, there you go, right? There, <laughs> there goes like six months of profit. Right. Um, you know, that stuff, I don't think people even anticipate. Right. Right. Um, no, I absolutely agree. I think people don't factor enough in for vacancy rates. I've seen pro formas, multiple pro, pro formas going across different, you know, providers, websites. It doesn't even have a vacancy allotment. I mean, you, you so you really think that the property is going to be rented 100% of the time? I mean, you have yeah. to factor that in. Right. And it just, that, that doesn't make sense. I've seen them, like you said, they don't even factor in any maintenance and repairs. Like, have you ever lived in a house or any type of property? I mean, there's always something going to break no matter what level of house. I mean, you know, C-class, B-class, A-class property, they're all going to have repairs and maintenance all the time. Yeah, that's part of the game. Okay, mm -hmm. so let's, I, I want to talk to you about this because I've had a couple of top agents speak to me recently, kind of miffed, kind of like pissed off <laughs> that investors like yourself and wholesalers are scooping up listing inventory before the seller even can MLS it. And they're saying, man, that seller left, you know, 30,000 on the table because he sold to a wholesaler or he sold to an investor that knocked on his door. He sold to a card he got from open door, open ceiling or whatever the companies are that, you know, 
basically give you a 70%, 65% offer on a postcard. We'll buy your house now for 250 and it's worth 300 And they take that offer and agents have been, why didn't the seller list it on MLS? They would have got so much more and more or less they're pissed because they lost the commission. So I want you to give the, the listenership here, the viewers, some advice on how to get listings like investors and wholesalers are getting them because it is a seller's market in a lot of areas and people are desperate for listings and we need to find out you know how to compete so what advice can you give us well you know like a lot of the wholesalers that i work with they're just very very aggressive i mean they're ma- they're mailing out 30,000 postcards a month wow like, that's their and that's not all they're doing for marketing <laughs> that's that's pretty serious you know you're going to just just by the numbers you're going to catch people at the right time but i you know i just don't think we're actually competing you know pat like we're i feel like we're in a different market because the people that we're scooping up are usually they're distressed properties i mean these need a lot of cash put into them before they could even be put on the mls i mean it's it's very rare where i'm gonna like get a great deal on a property that's nothing wrong with it and it's all you know, looking great. Those are usually going to the MLS. We're getting the ones where, you know, our value add is going in and picking up a property that, you know, needs $10,000, $20,000 worth of cash injection to bring it to a performing standard. So we're, I just don't feel like, you know, with our model, we're not competing with agents. We're, we're taking on properties that, that no one else really wants to touch. <laughs> <laughs> Well, let's say uh, I'm an agent and, uh, and um, you know, some, you said something interesting before the show. You, were, you, you had listened to a couple of episodes and agents were calculating their net profit as we always have them do. And um, you were like, hey, you know, when you flip a house, you can make three, four times as much as you can uh, uh, to list a house. And I don't know why more agents don't flip houses. You know, let's, let's talk about that. Can you, can you sure. elaborate on what you were saying earlier? Well, I think I was listening to an episode. Um, it was like twenty-eight million, or, or or maybe more than that. And they they ended up making I don't know, maybe half a million or something like that. And it just kind of hit me that I don't have to sell near that amount of product to be able to make the same amount. And, and you know, I know we're doing different. We're doing a totally different model. You, plus, well, mine's is almost all profit. Yeah, like when you make a commission. Yeah. Like, see, the difference is, uh, you know, for instance, you know, I think um, I had a guest earlier today that was making $4 million in commissions. Now, he had 27 agents on the team. And I'm not saying this is good or bad because still half a million dollars a year is is great. Sure. Uh, and, and no matter who you are. Right. Um, but, you know, he's got to sell $4 million. His company has to sell $4 million and take on a lot of liability with rent and overhead and his working um, time, trading time for money to make 12% profit. Whereas with a flip, right, you really don't have, you know, you're pretty much doing all the work yourself, right? So it's, it's like when you get a check from the profit of a flip, it's all yours. Yes, exactly. So, you know, we're looking for a 20%, you know, minimal, you know, uh, profit margin on when we do a flip. And it's not to say that we don't have any expenses. You know, I've got you know, a guy that you know, I pay to go out and scope every single property and, you know, help run all and coordinate all the rehab crews on the different projects that we're doing. 
Um, you know, we got a couple other people on our marketing team that help us, you know, uh, investor liaisons and make sure that we give quality service to all our investors. So we do have expenses, but I mean, our, ours is pretty minimal. I mean, I'm, I'm here in my home office this is where I do all my work. There's no, I don't have an office where I have to spend a lot of money on that type of thing. There's no brokerage fees going out, agent fees, all of that stuff. I mean, uh, our marketing expenses so far, you know, been actually pretty minimal. I mean, I've, I've done so much of this with my own network and then um, that, you know, good trust relationship that I built up with people over the last 20 years. And then, uh, you know, there's, uh, there's different uh, real estate forums that we can get in for, you know, pretty much free where you can just add value and create, um, you know, leads that way. So we don't have this huge marketing budget either. So you're right. I mean, a big chunk when we sell a property is, is, is pure profit. As a member of the Rockstar Nation, you may have noticed that every guest that comes on the show now is required to bring with them a free tool an item of utility that real estate agents can use to drastically increase their sales and profits. Some of the things that have been brought have been eBooks, forms, reports, negotiating techniques, hiring guides, postcards, checklists, open house secrets, newsletters that are sent out, sphere of influence forms, referral request forms, and the list goes on and on. If you would like to get this free toolbox, full of items of utility simply go to hybendigital.com backslash toolbox that's hybendigital.com backslash toolbox or simply text toolbox to 444-999 that's toolbox to 444-999 And, and I guess your point was that, you know, you would recommend agents get into flips if they can. I, absolutely. So I'm a big, big proponent in MSIs, right? Multiple streams of income. Mm. So I have my, I have three MSIs. I have my nutrition company, which still pays me a residual passive check every month. It's, it's an amazing business. And that, that business is you know, I still am involved with it, but it doesn't take 40, 50 hours a week anymore. And then I've got my flipping business. So that's our turnkey real estate company. And then I've also got my own package of properties that are my own buy and holds. They're leveraged. And those are getting, you know, really, really amazing cash flow. So I have all three of these sources of income so that I, I, my family is protected. If something dries up, something goes wrong in the economy, I mean, if all three dry up, Pat, I think we're all we're all screwed. So um, it's really it's really just a good position to be in. So for an agent, why wouldn't you want to have and tap into and utilize your expertise and and have multiple streams of income? Have your normal uh, listing income and and just the normal MLS sales, and then you got your flips, and then you got rentals that are bringing in income as well you can enjoy the same thing, all three sources of income and leverage your time so much more effectively and make a bigger margin on what you do. You don't have to take the three, I think, what is it? 3% usually on the, the agent side. Yeah. Yeah. It's whatever, you know, it's a, a negotiable, a negotiable, right? Yeah, sure. Yeah, but 
never more than 20%, 6%, right? The point is 20% is less than 3% or 2% or 2%. Right, right. Yeah. No matter what, 20 is going to be probably more than you're going to get on a commission. Right, even if they so take both sides. Let's wrap this up with some thoughts on like what you personally look for when you're buying a rental property. You know, Robert Kiyosaki was on the show, I believe it was episode 405, and some this question, and he said, he goes for blue collar, right? He goes for blue collar traditional tenants that tend to pay less than a, you know, um, a, a specific tenant, like a specific would be like a section eight tenant paying above market because it's government uh, paying you or sure. college students that you can rent by the bedroom or something like that. He, he, he likes that niche. What, what niche do you like as far as tenants and what do you look for when you, for your buy and holds personally? I'm, I mean, I'm hundred percent aligned with that, Pat. I mean, that's pretty much my entire portfolio. I have a few section eights. Section eights are, a little bit tricky. I mean, they they are above market rents, which is nice, and obviously you get a guaranteed government contract. But I mean, if they if you don't pass one little thing on their inspection, they'll use that as a reason to stop paying you, and they can make it a nightmare to get your your rent checks. I mean, I think they owe me like twenty grand from last year. Mm, wow. So, yeah. So you know, that's that's really hard to swallow. I think that was the property manager messed up and didn't get some forms in or something. So obviously yeah. we're... <laughs> yeah, no, that's happened to me too. I had it where the tenant's actually been at fault, meaning the tenant called and said there was things wrong with the house. They called Section 8 instead of calling us. And then when Section 8 came out and said, yeah, you're right, these smoke detectors aren't working or this isn't working, then they stopped paying rent until we could fix it. And uh, whenever the inspector wanted to come back to re-inspect it, the tenant always said, no, that's not a good time. You got to come a different time or or what have you and you know held it up another month or so so yeah there is some control that you lose mm-hmm. uh, with section 8 and they can also change the rules on you they can sure. they could um, uh, you know I had another section 8 tenant that uh, got a raise you know and suddenly she didn't qualify for section 8 because of her raise but she couldn't afford the house anymore so she could only pay like a third of the rent you know uh, right. so she you know so um, so it's interesting, but uh, to to the point of why blue collar and my here's my thoughts. Those are you know very very stable jobs. I mean, obviously, there's any sector of the economy that is you know if if it goes down, you know, like the auto industry in Detroit when that happened. Obviously, the blue collar jobs, a lot of them disappeared. So I like Indianapolis just because in the Midwest cities, because there's so many blue collar jobs that are very hard to export overseas. So I want stability with my rents. I want long-term tenants that, you know, can pay even if the economy suffers. My other thought too is if, if there is a downturn in the economy and, and there's got to be one sooner or later here. I mean, we've had some multiple years of prosperity, 0% interest rates. Like, come on, the music's got to stop at some point. When that happens, I want to be protected. So I'm, my, here's my theory. <laughs> we'll see how it plays out, right? But the people that are paying, you know, your A-class type stuff, you know, fifteen hundred, two thousand a month in rent, when they lose their jobs, they got to lose. They got to live somewhere. I don't see Americans living in tents anytime soon. So they're going to be, they're going to have to downgrade their lifestyle, and they're going to be downgraded into my middle class blue collar housing. 
So I don't want to be, I don't want to be on the low end. I don't want to be on the high end. I want to be more on the, the middle end, uh, Pat. That's my, that's my theory. We'll see how it plays out over the next 10 years, but that's what I'm investing in right now. Yeah, I love that theory. And, 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 and essentially what you're saying is people are going to sacrifice for space and location. They're going to sacrifice space and location uh, for affordability. Yes. Because they have to. Mm-hmm. Right? And at the end of the day, it could be a good argument that we're overspaced now as, as, as Americans or North Americans in general are overspaced, meaning the average square footage per person is at an all-time high and um, the, the belief structure of a lot of these, especially the young people coming up, is they don't want space. They like these micro houses and they like these little right. tiny, tiny houses. apartments. <laughs> you know. So, uh, so well, yeah, the, more of a collapse in the, in the over, over square footage, for lack of a better way to put it. Yeah, I mean, I mean, you, you, I'm sure you've read just like I have all the reports about the millennials not being able to afford housing, but just because the price of housing has gone up so drastically. So now we have a huge section of our economy that it's all renters. They've got to rent somewhere, right? So when they, you know, when the when when the market hits a downturn. They're going to have, like I said, they're going to have to live somewhere. And so they're going to have to take on an affordable level of housing. When we're at the six, seven, eight hundred dollar range, I mean, you know, we, most people can afford that even like on a $15 an hour type, you know, paycheck. So that just, for me, I sleep better at night knowing that I got this solid base of, um, you know, tenant class for the future. Yeah. And do you manage everything yourself, Jack? No way. No way. Not one. (laughs) Not one. No and, way. And is there any technology <laughs> that that uh, that's, that your property management companies are using mm. now uh, that didn't exist before that that people can look into that's helpful? Like, you know, I know there's a lot of um, ways to access the properties, mm. and ways to act for tenants to apply, things like that. Mm. Any neat things you want to share? I, I don't know if it's new or how new it would be, but uh, you know, like those those. Appfolio or Buildium, these accounts where you have your own a, por- a portal as an investor. I think those are killer because I can log in right now and I can see exactly the date that my tenant paid. I know if they're late. I know I know what repairs are going on on the property. I know everything. And also for me too, as you know, servicing other investors, you know, I can see all the properties that my investors have in their uh, their accounts in my, my, my main login. So I can see what's going on. When are they getting the rent? I want to make sure that they're performing well. And if they're not, you know, um, you know, I want to try to figure out a game plan to, to get those, help them to get those properties performing, even though obviously I'm really heavily relying on the property management to do that, but I still feel a sense of obligation to my investor clients to make sure that they're, that, that they are performing and, Absolutely. and getting what they promised. Listen, Jack, this has been awesome. Uh, as you know, everybody that comes on the show uh, provides a gift, a free gift, and we're, we're going to put this on your show notes. We're going to put it on, uh, let's see, hybendigital.com backslash high return. Hybendigital.com backslash high, mm-hmm. H-I-G-H, return. 
And uh, Jack, what is it you're going to give to our audience today? Well, it's a checklist. It's our most popular download by far. It's a, a checklist that you'd use to vet any type of property that you're purchasing as an investment property. So it just kind of goes through all the different things that you want to consider and um, look at. It doesn't mean you need to check off everything on the list in order to, it's, there's no perfect property out there. But just so you don't get in trouble when you do a purchase, um, it's also like if you're selling investment property, uh, for any of the agents that want to you know, do some flips, they can consider all these factors when they're buying it to then flip it of what a potential investor is going to be looking for. So you can kind of use it both on the seller side or on the buy and hold type strategy side. And um, I, I very passionate about this checklist, Pat, because one of my very first properties I bought was an 11 unit and I didn't vet it properly. And a couple people told me, I remember old man river, he told me, don't do it. There's there's don't do it. There's a reason why she wants to sell. And sure enough, I went ahead and pulled the trigger anyways. And then I had to put like another $60,000 into CapEx. So, <laughs> Oh gosh! Live oh, and learn, right? Yeah, you live and Best learn. Best way you know? to learn, right? Best way. To it learn. was painful, but you know, it's it's really good that I had cash reserves. I wasn't buying it thin, so you know, you, you want to have cash reserves to uh, kind of make sure that you have a cushion if anything goes wrong. Because I did get it back to performing status, and now it's actually really nice. I mean, it's generating some really nice cash. But if I didn't have that cash backup, Pat, I'd be. I would have taken a huge loss on that property. Yeah, well, I appreciate you sharing that. And I'm going to put it in the toolbox as well at hybendigital.com backslash toolbox or text the word toolbox to 444-999. Jack, great getting to know you, brother. And uh, listen, if I'm ever in Indianapolis, I will definitely look you up. We'll get together and break some bread. That sounds great, Pat. And I look forward to having you on our show as well here coming up uh, next month. So it's going to yeah, be great. <laughs> Have a good one, Jack. Thank you, Pat. This episode is brought to you in full by Rebus University, the future of real estate training. Go now to www.rebusuniversity.com and use the coupon code ROCK for 20% off your first course. Double your commissions now with Rebus University. Thank you for turning into Real Estate Rockstars. Please subscribe on iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you may be listening. If you haven't already, please give us a review. I don't care whether it's a one-star review or a five-star review. We eat feedback for breakfast, and we need your reviews. Also, the more reviews we get, the better our guests become. Thanks again for listening, and find me on social media simply by typing in my name. I'm Pat Hyben, and keep rocking. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.